I'm going to actually ask you guys to stay standing with me for a second. I know some of y'all were like, oh man, I was just about to go down. Um, and I want us to just go ahead and read from God's word this morning and, and really just catch up to, uh, to the place we are today so we can know, that, know where we've come from uh, in the book of Ephesians. We've titled this series, The Blessed Life, all about what God has done for us and now in us. And then through us, and we see this in Ephesians chapter 1. So if you would join me, we're going to go ahead and catch up to where we've gotten so far so we can know where we've come from, and we'll go ahead and put these on the screen for you as well. Reading from the ESV translation this morning, Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he lavished and blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. Verse 11, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen? Amen. You can be seated. One of the early church fathers known as Jerome once said that the book of Ephesians is like the heart in the midst of the body. It is the lifeblood to the body. It's the one that pumps blood and, and refreshment and life to the body. Uh, R. Kent Hughes said that Ephesians answers the question, what does it mean to be in Christ and what does that demand of us? I once heard it put that Ephesians is the crown and climax of all Pauline theology. The Apostle Paul is the author of this letter. John MacArthur says that Ephesians has rightly been titled the believer's bank and the treasure house of the Bible. This beautiful letter tells Christians of their great riches, inheritance, and fullness in Jesus Christ and in his church. It unfolds for them the infinite blessings they possess in Christ and how they can claim and enjoy those possessions. I start off this morning by sharing those quotes and those reminders uh, as we begin to close a section in the Ephesians letter. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1 all the way through 14 is really just a long introduction and greeting from the Apostle Paul. He is introducing us into the blessed life. And that's why we've titled this chapter that that, that phrase, 
because Paul wants us to really dig deep into understanding all the blessings that we have in Christ. So much so that verse 3 all the way to 14 is just one long sentence. Now there's some commas and um, there's, some, there's some breaks in between there, but it's just one long introduction. Paul is saying, before I get into anything else, Ephesians, and, and for us today, he's saying, before we, before we dig into the do's and don'ts, walk church, before we get into the kind of the weighty stuff of now, how do we apply this? Or, or how do we live because of it? He says, I want you to understand that you, brothers and sisters, are blessed. That the church is, is sought in such high favor by God himself that you'll never understand why you should do this or you shouldn't do that until you understand who you are in him. If I were to ask you the question, who do you think that you are? We'd probably get a lot of questions. Some would say, I'm a failure. Some would say, I'm a success. Some would say, I'm the most awesome person in the world. Another would say, I'm the worst person in the world. But here's what I want to tell you. It really doesn't matter what you think you are. What matters this morning? What he says you are, right? What God thinks when he looks at you. When God looks at you, Suzanne and Marcel, right? When, when God looks at you, Brandon and Kahlo, right? When God looks at Joey as he's helping us with media this morning, when God looks at you, what does he see? And Ephesians 1, verse 3, all the way through 14, tells us what he sees. We've been talking about these blessings, haven't we? He sees somebody who's chosen. He sees somebody who's adopted. He sees somebody who is uh, predestined to know him by the grace that he has lavished upon us. He sees somebody who has been given wisdom and insight, revelation. And we're going to jump into some more of these phrases today. He sees somebody who's forgiven of their sins. You might not see yourself as forgiven, but in Christ he does. He sees somebody who's redeemed. The word redeemed means to be bought back. To be restored into its original purpose. When God sees you, he sees these things. And when you begin to understand that you have union with God, that will affect the way you see life. And, and, and brothers and sisters, that will affect the way you see yourself. That you'll begin to walk around in victory. Not in a prideful way, but not in a discouraged way either. Because you've been adopted, because you've been chosen, because you've been redeemed, because you've been forgiven, because God has revealed himself to you, because you've been united to God through Christ, that is something that we can be encouraged about. That is something that we can walk out today, and that is what he calls the blessed life. Amen? Here's what I want to encourage you with today. Before we wrap up verse 3 all the way to 14, we see two more blessings, and we're going to, unveil, we're going to reveal those um, here in just a minute. So let's go ahead and jump into these verses, and let's go ahead and break them down piece by piece, verse by verse. In verse 11, we see Paul continuing to edify the church. He says, in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. I want to highlight this phrase right here, in him we have obtained an inheritance. 
because I don't want us to miss the reality of what's happening there. And maybe inheritance isn't quite a word that we're super familiar with, but it's a word we should get to know because it's a biblical word. Amen? Uh, I want to preach a message to you today that I'm titling a secure inheritance. Secure inheritance. I, I want you to know by the time we leave here today that the inheritance that we have obtained by God through Christ is not something that is wavering around, but it is secure. It's not something that is going to be destroyed, or it's not something that a moth can eat off of. It's not something that can be stolen. It is secure today, the inheritance that we have in him. So let's go ahead and talk about this word, inheritance. The word inheritance, by definition, according to Webster's, means to receive from an ancestor as a right or a title, descendable by law, at the ancestor's death. Part B of the definition, it says to receive as a device or a legacy. Uh, the reason why I think that these definitions are important as we begin to understand what the word inheritance means is because it's something that we receive through an ancestor in this context as a right or title at the ancestor's death. So as we think about what we just talked about in the Lord's Supper, when, when we reflect back at the cross and we see Jesus dying on the cross for our sin, it's in that moment that we can know today that it's through his death and ultimately through his resurrection that we have now obtained his inheritance. He has left something for us, right? He, he, has, he has included us in his will. Why? That's what we're singing about when we say amazing grace. Like why God would include me and you in his will, sinful people, and why he would leave an inheritance for us is mind-boggling to me. One of the examples of, of inheritance that I, I love, and I just want to talk about it for a second. If you're taking notes, write this verse down. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. We don't have it on the screen, but just listen to this for a second. It says that, it says that in Christ, right, when, when we have Christ, we have the Savior, right, who has taken all of our sin on himself and in doing so given us all of his righteousness. So, so one of the inheritance uh, factors that we get in Christ is his righteousness, do you guys know how righteous Jesus is? He's the definition of righteousness. There's nothing more righteous a person can do or get than Christ. He is the king of kings. He is the saint of saints. He is the capital L Lord of all the lowercase l lords. He, he's the, the capital R righteous of anything righteous that our minds could even conceive of. And so by his death, Right? He, he, he has taken on our sin, and then we have taken on his righteousness. Think about this. In a, in, let me give you an image of it, right? Like, imagine, just for a second, we're going deep here, but imagine that there's a big cross right here. And, and let's just imagine that Jesus is hanging from the tree. He's hanging from the cross. This is the gospel, friends. Right? And in that moment, all of your sin is then being transferred to him. Which is why justice had to happen. Because th there's a payment that needs to be paid for your sin. God in his holy righteousness, 
cannot stand sin in his presence. He won't. But what he does is great good news. He takes all of your sin, he transfers it to Jesus, which is why he is dying on the cross, which is why he is shedding his blood, right? And in that very moment, he's taking all of Jesus' righteous attributes. Jesus has no sin to give us. He only has righteousness to give us. And, he, and God takes all his righteousness and then transfers that to you. That is part of your inheritance. Like, that's an awesome package, amen? Like, I don't know what insurance package you got. But, but spiritually, in Christ, you have one that says righteous. That's all you need in God's eyes. For God to look upon your sinful state and say, that person is righteous. Why? Because of their faith in Jesus. When we approach the Lord's table, that's what we're doing. We're being reminded of our justification. We're being reminded of our righteousness that we have because Jesus paid it all. All of our sin imputed to him. All of his righteousness imputed to us. That is a great substitute that we can be thankful for this morning. Some other words that we've seen so far in this chapter is holiness and, and blameless. That, so that we can be counted holy and blameless. The fact that God is going to look upon you and he's going to say that person is holy. That's part of your inheritance. That God's going to not see anything to blame you for. Did you know that? Like, like God's not going to start tallying up all your sin when you get to heaven. If you believed in Jesus. Now, if you've rejected Christ and the gospel, you've got to pay for your own sin. That's your choice. I wouldn't want to do it because I couldn't pay it. The wages of sin is death. So either you can die for your sin or Jesus can die for your sin, and he has. And he rose from the grave, defeating death and hell, and calls us to believe. And when we believe, we get an inheritance. So I'm excited about the gospel. I, I, I need to remind myself of this reality. That's why we sing about it. That's why we teach on it. That's why it's a core value for us because we believe that the gospel message needs to make its way into every part of our lives. It's what we get from him. The disciple Peter understood this as he writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. He says that his, talking about God, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Verse 4, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. So that through them you may participate in the divine nature. That's another inheritance. Like we have a sinful nature, don't we? We have a bent toward sin. Like we just have a leaning toward Sin. Romans chapter 3 says, we'll always choose sin over him unless he does something in us. Unless there's a change. Unless there's a reworking. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But now we've received a divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. These things are part of our inheritance. I'm thankful... Check this out. If Jesus just died for our sin and, and gave us a ticket to heaven, like that would be cool. I would, that would be enough. Be totally enough. But we have more in our inheritance package that I am continuing to be amazed by. We see that in, in, uh, we see that in the, the blessed life list that we just pulled up at the very beginning. Like let's pull that list back up if we can really quick. 
We saw it in verse 4, right? We saw that part of our inheritance is to be chosen. Another phrase that we see in the scriptures in Ephesians chapter 1 is the word predestination. I don't want you guys to be scared of that word. I want you to just see that word as a biblical word. Really what that word means is that God's a lot smarter than us. That means that God knows things that you and I don't know. That God has no time limit. God has no birth. God has always been and he always will be and he is infinite. He's not finite like us. He knows our thoughts. He knows our heart. He knows what we're going to do before we even do it. It says before the foundations of the world, he chose you. He had you on his heart. That's awesome. That's an inheritance to be chosen by God. The second thing in verse 5 is that he's adopted us into his family. That's an inheritance. Right? People that get inheritance primarily are from family members. Like you don't usually just see somebody like, hey, Tony, I want to give you my inheritance. You're like, dude, I don't even know you. How often does that happen? It happens when, when, when the father says, all right, I've left you son, daughter, an inheritance. Wife, spouse. We're, we're sons and daughters of the king. We have a double identity this morning. We're sons and daughters, but we're also part of the bride of Christ, right? Right or wrong? Does Jesus take care of his bride? Yes, he does, right? Does he take care of his children? Yes, he does. He leaves us an inheritance. He's adopted us into his family. When we're adopted, then we're redeemed. See, we're, we were supposed to be children of God from the beginning. But through sin, we've been separated from God. But through his death and his resurrection, we're brought back to God. We're redeemed through his blood. I want that to sink in for us. When we're redeemed, we're forgiven. When we're forgiven, we're, we're set free. And in that time, God begins to teach us and reveal to us himself. God says, I want you to know a little bit more about me. I, I find it funny that with Epaph, our two-year-old, he just continues to learn more about myself and, and, and Nina. And he's getting to know us even at this young age. And some of us are, are, are young in Christ. We're just getting to know God more. We're getting to see more about him. God has so many facets that he wants to reveal to us. Praise God he does, amen? Like he's not a mysterious God that's up there and he's like, you know, I'm not going to let them know me. No, he lets us know him. So much so that he sent himself through his son Jesus. He's very personal. The last thing we see here is union. Unity with God. Unity is a very big deal in the Bible. First with him because we can't have unity with one another until we're unified with him. But praise God we are unified with him. I love how it says in 2 Corinthians 5, it says that we've been given the message of reconciliation because we've been reconciled to him. The only way that we're going to be able to reconcile with one another, because just be honest, if you attend Walk Church long enough, there's probably somebody in here that's going to offend you. There's probably somebody in here that may let you down. The only way that we're going to be able to forgive and reconcile is when we come to a complete understanding that we've been forgiven. And we've been reconciled. So how can we hold that against somebody, right? When God didn't hold it against you. Now that takes humility. And that may even take time. But that's who we are. So the seventh blessing that we have in Christ is inheritance. And I'm grateful for the inheritance that we get 
in God the Father. And that, that never ends. Let's go ahead and finish up verse 11. We'll make our way to our next verses. It says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Just a quick thing for us to highlight really quick. It says, In him we have obtained an inheritance. Paul the apostle is writing primarily about the Jewish people here. Right? The Jewish people were God's chosen people. They were God's people that he had elected and called to be his very own from the beginning of creation. I want to share that with you because as you read the Old Testament, you're going to see that heavily on display. That doesn't end in the New Testament. God says, hey, we, we have been obtained an inheritance. And he's talking about the, the Jewish people. God's saying, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, God said, I knew that they were going to blow it, but I made a way for them through my son Jesus according to the counsel of his will. Well, let's go ahead and jump into verse 12 so we can say, all right, well, what about maybe those who may not be Jewish people or those who may be considered Gentiles? He goes on to say, verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory, that, that our, our inheritance should lead to his glory, that our inheritance should lead to his praise. And as we jump into now verse 13, we'll see a little bit more into God's character. In him you also. Now who is the you here? The you is everybody else. I want us to catch that because we see the we to the you. So Paul was a Jewish man. He was a, uh, a Pharisee. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. If anybody got the law correct, it was him. But he's writing to a bunch of pagan people from Ephesus. Right? There weren't many Jewish people in this city of Ephesus, which is now in Turkey, and you can see the ruins of the Ephesus church, and it's on my bucket list to one day visit it. It's going to be an awesome day when I get to stand in the Ephesus church and read this letter. Be like, man, thank you, Jesus. I want that inheritance. Um, let's keep going. In him you also. He's talking about Gentiles, Ephesians. Maybe today you don't have a Jewish background. He's saying, you're not left out by any means. You're included in the cross. You're included in the gospel. You're included in salvation. He says, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I love these verses right here, and I think that there's a quick equipping and training moment for us to see here. Maybe you're wondering how a person can get saved. It's really quite simple. Paul gives us the step-by-step, -step, all right? You guys ready for it? He says, first, first you've got to hear the word of truth. If, if you're saved today, it's because one day someone was kind enough to share with you the word, and it's not a false word, but it's the word of truth. Jesus one day said, I am the truth. There's, been, there's never been anybody that said, I'm truth. People have claimed to know truth. But Jesus said, I am the truth. And when people heard the word about Jesus, the word of truth, which is the gospel of their salvation, I just walked you through the gospel that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. And then he rose from the grave and left all your sin in the grave. Like your sin is no more, it's dead. 
When we put our faith in Jesus, we're a new creation. When you heard that word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, brothers and sisters, that is what it looks like to be saved. That's what it looks like to say, you know what, sin, I'm leaving you behind, and I'm following this new savior of mine. Because sin can't save you. Sin will kill you. Sin not only will kill you, it'll kill you for eternity. Jesus will save you and save you for eternity. He desires to give us this new life in him. And so that's why we're passionate about the gospel, why we're passionate about sharing the gospel. And there's all types of different ways you can do this. I'm not going to say that there's one right or wrong method for how we do this, right? In him, when you heard the word of truth, here's my point. We just want people to hear it. One of the things that we're passionate about here at Walk Church is relationships, I've learned this in my context, that people are not able to hear it unless there's a relationship that the word can walk across. Oftentimes, I don't even get to the gospel until I know that person's name, until I know their story, until I've invited them over. I'm not saying that you've got to do all those things. If you get a divine appointment today at Chipotle and you get to share the gospel with that person, we're going to praise God for that. But I just want to encourage you, to be, to be heavily focused on building relationships here in our city for the purpose of gospel intentionality. For the purpose of saying, hey, I love Jesus' example at the, at the well with the woman. In John chapter 4, he, he meets this woman at the well and he says, hey, can I share a drink of water with you? He begins to encourage, he begins to speak about this living water, he begins to get to know her better, and then he begins to share the truth with her. And because of that that, that point right there, she was saved and her city came to know Jesus because of that. And I want to encourage you to maybe identify somebody who's in your life as a friend or somebody who you're getting to know or a coworker, or a family member and prioritize a moment where you're able to share the truth. Right? Like nobody is ever going to come to know Jesus just by you being a good friend alone. If you're really a good friend, you'll one day make it to the gospel. Because why would you not want to share the thing that saved you? Why would you not want to share about the blessed life? Why would you want to keep that to yourself? Why would you want to be like, hey, look, I'm adopted, chosen, set free, redeemed, forgiven. I got an inheritance. God revealed himself to me, but I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> like, that's not what we're called to do. I think that's probably the most unloving thing to do. But I do encourage you to do it in a wise way. In a wise way. In a wise way oftentimes is around the table. How oftentimes did Jesus minister to his people at the table, right? The power of the table. I'm going to preach on that. They'll call the power of the table, right? Jesus, oftentimes, he's inviting people to the table, and he's having a discussion around food. Break bread doubly. Break some bread, and then communicate the truth. Break some bread. The apostles followed his example. You see continuously breaking bread with one another, sharing the truth with one another, and doing it in the context of relationship. Doesn't God do that for us? God is so relational that he sent his son Jesus to get to know us. Like, like he actually lived, put skin on. He was a carpenter. He's super relational. And I want us to be challenged by this, that we'll see more people saved this year if we're able to communicate the word of truth so people can hear it, the gospel of their salvation, so that they can believe in him. Amen? Yeah. Let's have an evangelistic zeal out here at Walk Church. Yeah. 
these seeds aren't going to grow until we start sharing it with people. And doing it in a fresh way. Like doing it in a real gospel relational way. And I think that God will honor and bless that. We'll see here that he says that when that person believed, when you believed, that you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This is a good word right here. Verse 14 tells us that the sealing of the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. The eighth blessing that we have in Christ is what I want to call security. Security. This is big because that word seal is a word that we may not often use, um, but it's a word that we should use in this context today. Let's look back at these verses and we'll get ready to close. This will be our last point this morning. It says that those who have believed were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That word sealed, it's the Greek word, I can't even say it, it's a Greek word, all right? To set a, a seal upon someone, all right? It means to mark them with a seal. Oftentimes it's used for security. Uh, a seal was there to mark a person or a thing to identify a person or a thing. They would be, there would be a seal placed on them, often kind of like a badge of honor or, or, or a marking of some sort to identify. Um, in this identification, it would be uh, there to confirm something. It would be there to authenticate something. It would be to place beyond doubt of a written document. The sealing would go beyond the written document. To go further, it was, a, it was a word that was used in this culture was to prove one's testimony to a person that he is what he professes to be. A seal was there to, to give off security, to, to demonstrate who a person is. Oftentimes, the seal could be used through a ring, and the ring would have the signature of the person's owner or parent, and they could use that ring to authenticate who they were. It was the seal. It was the mark that they possessed. And here we see that the Holy Spirit is what we're sealed with to guarantee our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. This is, this is, this is big for us. One author said that, that the word seal is to describe a protection and provision that the word, the word sealed is described to describe um, not just protection, but preservation. Uh, I, I was, I'm reminded of this this past weekend. Nina and I were, were taking a quick vacation before this summer started. And um, in, inside the car, we had a, a, a little lunchbox for EPATH. And, um, and Nina, I guess, had specific items in that lunchbox. And she said... Make sure you don't open that lunchbox. All right? Don't open it. Don't touch it. Go to the right of it and grab what you need there. And later she, 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 she said, do you know why I told you not to open that lunchbox? She said, because there were certain things in that lunchbox that, that I didn't want air to get into. And it was one of those like kind of cold furnace ones. You know what I'm saying? It was her mom stuff, right? And I was like, all right, cool, cool, cool. But God began to speak to me as I, as I noticed it. She was trying to preserve something through the lunchbox. She was trying to protect it, even from me, because she knew I'd probably mess it up somehow, right? No dads gave me an amen on that. All right, y'all spiritual, I got you. 
But for me, right, God is, is looking at us and he's given us his Holy Spirit, right? He's, he's sealed us with his Spirit, right? It's, it's, it's locked in, right? He sealed us to preserve us and to protect us. The Holy Spirit's job is to continue to make us better, to continue to grow us into the image of Christ. It, the Holy Spirit is, he's there to preserve us, to keep us fresh, to keep us believing in him, to keep us growing deeper into him. Why do you think the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin? He's not there just to try to Bible thump you. He's there to say, hey, I got something better for you. Conviction is there to draw us closer to Jesus. Conviction is there to make us better, to preserve us, and also to protect us. When you hear the Holy Spirit's voice that says, don't go there, or don't eat that, or don't drink that, or don't smoke that, saying, I'm trying to protect you and preserve you for your inheritance. I don't want you to mess up that. I, I want you to continue in that. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee. Everybody say guarantee. This word right here, it's another word to say the down payment. Like we're one day going to get our inheritance, no doubt. You, you will be transformed into the image of Christ when you get to heaven. You'll get a new body. You'll get a new mind. You might get a new mansion. You might, all these types of things that come with heaven. Ultimately, the most valuable possession in heaven is you get Christ. You get to be in relationship with him. We no longer got to go to the Lord's table. You'll be at the Lord's table, right? There's no need to take bread and wine. You'll be able to share that with him. But until we get there, Jesus says, I'm going to leave you a down payment to make sure, to, so you know it's secure. How will we know we'll get there one day? Jesus says, because I'm going to give you my spirit and he'll be with you wherever you go. He's going to actually seal you. He's going to be the marking. You know how the Jewish people identified those who were truly saved as Gentiles? They would say, well, did they have the Spirit or not? How do I know that person's saved? Is the Holy Spirit in them or not? The Holy Spirit is the identification. It's the authentication of whether or not you truly are a believer. That's what it means to be born again of the Spirit. Amen. So we're thankful for the Holy Spirit here at Walk Church. But we're not just thankful for the Spirit. We are desperate for the Holy Spirit. We are dependent on the Holy Spirit. We have nothing to give unless we have the Holy Spirit. And I praise God that He is the guarantee of our inheritance. God's like, hey, you know how I know you're going to make it? He goes, I guarantee you'll make it. By sending my Holy Spirit who will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You can't lose the Holy Spirit. You can offend the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. But God's not an Indian giver. Right? God's not going to give you the Holy Spirit. And he's like, oh, you failed. Come on back, Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit is going to be patient with us. He's going to walk with us. He comforts us. He counsels us. He teaches us. He restores us. He blesses us. He keeps us focused. He keeps us on the task, on the mission. He's the one that does it. I don't refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. The Holy Spirit is Him. The actual person of Christ in capital S spirit form is the guarantee. I love the fact that God guarantees our salvation through sending us His Spirit. Lastly, 
to the praise of his glory. Amen. We constantly get back to this theme that it all should lead us to praise the one who saved us. So I'm going to pull up the eight blessings that we have before we transition from these 14 verses. I want us to see them. We got all eight. Who wants to go eight for eight? Amen. I want to go 100%. Keep it 100. Chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, revealed, union, inheritance, security. Brothers and sisters, this is the blessed life. If you're watching this online, chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, revealed to by God, unified with Christ, inheritance for eternity, secured by His Spirit. These are the things we get when we turn from sin, put our faith in Jesus, we get to live what God calls the blessed life. Amen? That's what I want us to see. That's what I want us to feel. That's what I want us to walk in. It doesn't matter how you see yourself. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself. It matters what God sees when He sees you. It matters what God thinks when He thinks about you. And He thinks about you as chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, revealed, unified, inherited. Brothers and sisters, secure. I want that. And I praise God I have that in Christ. Amen. Father, thank you so much for this good news message that we get to sing about today. We get to hear about